This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. My name is Jayan Shriram and I'm your host for today's episode. We'll be doing a preview today of the first ever meeting of the leaders of the Quadrilateral Framework, or Quad, that will take place tomorrow virtually. That's March 12th and we're recording on March 11th. Prime Minister Narendra Modi will participate in the discussion, which will also witness the participation of President Joe Biden of the United States, Japanese Prime Minister Yoshide Suga, and Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison. So we can give you the statement about the meeting from India's External Affairs Ministry, which confirmed the news on Tuesday. It said the leaders will discuss regional and global issues of shared interest and exchange views on practical areas of cooperation towards maintaining a free, open and inclusive Indo-Pacific region. The summit, it said, will provide an opportunity to exchange views on contemporary challenges such as resilient supply chains, emerging and critical technologies, maritime security, and climate change. Now, underlying all of this, of course, and the issue that is likely to be the big elephant in the room, is the China challenge. Whether any kind of statement emerges specifically about it, that is the subtext that most commentators will try to read into once we know more about what takes place in the meeting itself. We are likely to be back with a follow-up on Saturday in this podcast, that's on March 13. But joining me today for a preview of the Quad meeting are Suhasni Haider, the Hindu's National and Diplomatic Affairs Editor, and Anand Krishnan, our Beijing Correspondent. So thank you both for joining us today. And Suhasni, I'd like to start with you and ask the obvious questions. How important is this summit in a historical context and what should we be expecting in terms of outcomes? Okay, the, the fact is, Jen, it is the first Quad summit. So that itself makes the meeting historic. Remember, the Quad actually started out in 2007. Uh, it had long been the dream of uh, the former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, to kind of have this coalition uh, across the Indo-Pacific. Um, they never got around to holding a proper Quad summit. Uh, when it was re-resuscitated, uh, if you like, in 2017, 2016, 2017, uh, we've seen steady numbers of meetings, first at an official level, then next coming uh, to, the, uh, to the ministerial level. Uh, we saw uh, the third ministerial level meeting just a month ago, and now we're seeing the Quad Summit. It's not just that the, it's the first time the leaders of the US, Japan, Australia, uh, and India are going to be together. This is a virtual format, of course. It's also one of the newly elected US president, Joseph Biden's first multilateral summits. And the, uh, Thank the you US so much, administration, the White House has made it clear that this is showing the kind of uh, importance that the new administration places on their what they call their Indo-Pacific partners and allies. 
remember, it also comes at an interesting time. Just um, in the next week, we are going to see the visit by the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to Delhi. It's the first visit by uh, a Biden administration senior official. Um, we also have uh, Mr. Uh, Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State. He's not coming to India, but he's going to be in the region. He's in Japan. He's in, in South Korea as well. And then there is the U.S.-China summit. And you mentioned that China is sort of the China challenges the elephant in the room. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting to watch just how these four leaders interact, what kind of a message they put out. Will there be a unified message? Remember, no quad meeting yet has actually put out a, a, a joint statement. They've always put out separate statements. So there's a lot to, uh, to unpack from what is expected in the meeting and really a lot of expectations and, and perhaps uh, many signals that are being watched coming out of the meeting. Right. Uh, so from the Indian perspective, so Asni, I mean, developments regarding the quad grouping have kind of uh, moved at a pace faster than what we perhaps expected. Um, so, so far, India has stayed very clear of using any kind of military language when it comes to especially things like the China challenge, uh, whereas, um, you know, different countries have approached that differently. Uh, the former U.S. president, uh, Donald Trump, was used very uh, tough language with regard to China. There are signs that the Biden administration is going to continue with some of that you know, their stand is not going to change radically on that. Um, Japan has used fairly strong language. Um, you know, f for India, what, what does this mean? Have they been, ha has India been dragged into this faster than it would have uh, liked or expected? Well, certainly, Jen, India is always going to be the slowest mm -hmm. in the room when it comes to, com uh, you know, militarization or any kind of language that sounds uh, militaristic in, uh, in a quad formation. The Indian position remains the same, which is that the quad is not a strategic construct. It is a geographical concept. And uh, India is essentially looking for stability, uh, uh, safety and, uh, and security in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, the other reasons why India stands apart from the other three is that it is not in a military alliance. And Mr. Jay Shankar said a few months ago that India is not and will never be part of a military alliance, uh, whereas the other three are part of an alliance. Also uh, important is the fact that India is the only one of those four countries that has a massive 3,000 kilometer land boundary with China. So if China has objections to the Quad or sees it as a threat or sees it as a containment in initiative, uh, then the, the repercussions will be felt perhaps more by India than others. And of course, India is in the middle of this disengagement negotiation with China. It's been se sensitive. It has taken several months. We're still looking at only phase one of uh, the disengagement and, and eventual de-escalation. Uh, so for India, it will always be more difficult to walk into this language, uh, to walk into this meeting with the kind of language we've heard from the former U.S. Secretary of State Pompeo, for example, who said, you know, these uh, the Quad countries must come together uh, to counter the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Um, uh, and also, as you pointed out, Japan in a in a meeting in a in a conversation earlier this week between Prime Minister Modi and Prime Minister Suga of Japan. This is just as an example. Um, they they both had a conversation. They discussed the region. They discussed other bilateral issues between them. When the readouts came, 
uh, Tokyo's readout was very different from New Delhi's readout. You know, New Delhi's readout was much more about bilateral cooperation, things they can do together, uh, as well as, as the region, whereas we heard from Tokyo very, very strong language about China's quote-unquote aggressive aggression in the South China Sea, East China Sea, in uh, uh, speaking about Chinese actions in Xinjiang as well as in Hong Kong. So what we are seeing is already a kind of uh, crystallization of uh, India shying away from this kind of language and, and, and hearing a lot tougher language coming uh, from the other members of the Quad. Um, Anand, uh, let's just bring you here now. Um, has China reacted or said something about this meeting? As Swasni mentioned, this is coming at a pretty sensitive time. We're still in the, pro- in the process of um, this de-escalation along the border with uh, the troops of both countries. Right, Jan. So on Wednesday, two days before this summit, the Chinese foreign ministry uh, put out a statement and asked about the Quad meeting. And they said something that they've been saying uh, for many months now, uh, which is that in their view, uh, any kind of regional cooperation uh, should be conducive, is the word they use, uh, to peace and stability uh, and should not do things that are the opposite. So that's something that they've been saying for a while now. But it's interesting, Jan, to see the evolution in the official Chinese language on the Quad. A few years ago, uh, China's foreign minister Wang Yi, in his official press conference, he kind of dismissed it as the most sort of uh, new flavor of the month. He said it would be something like the foam that you see on an ocean that sort of dissipates it when the water crashes the shore, meaning that it's something very transient, fleeting, and isn't uh, going to be there for the long run. But his message, at his annual press conference a few days ago uh, on Sunday, at the middle of China's National People's Congress, was slightly different. He didn't really mention the Quad or take a question on the Quad. But in the context of uh, China-U.S. relations and in the context of how China looked at the current global situation, he said that uh, China was very against what he called, quote, building small circles in the name of multilateralism, which he sort of criticized as a new kind of group politics Uh, And selective multilateralism was the phrase that he used. So I think that kind of captures how China looks at the Quad. Uh, And it's looking at uh, what the Chinese press has been saying in the lead up to this meeting and what they said in the past as well. Um, It is interesting to see them caught between, on the one hand, trying to play up American containment of China, which is something that uh, underscores a lot of Chinese strategic thinking. But on the other hand, Uh, While they do accuse the U.S. of trying to contain China, they do sort of emphasize the message that in their view, it would not work because of what they see as fundamental divergences and differences among how each of the four Quad countries approach China. And I think that, uh, in fact, on the day of of the closing session of the National People's Congress uh, on Thursday, uh, Chinese state TV invited a really well-known People's Liberation Army commentator, a former senior colonel called Joe Bo and interviewed him about the Quad meeting. And he said that, you know, in his view, he wasn't worried uh, because he said, I would sum it up in one sentence, which is none of those four countries would put the interests of the other above their own interests in dealing with China. Mm. The point that he made was each of them had different relations with China. US-China, of course, is a hugely important relation uh, for both countries. India, unlike the other uh, Quad countries, as Suhasini just rightly pointed out, uh, has predominantly land border problems with China, where a very maritime focused alignment with the Quad countries has, uh, let's be honest, has somewhat limited use, even if there are uh, uses when it comes to 
intelligence sharing, and even signaling. Uh, so the point is they have different problems when it comes to China. And that's the view, uh, that's a broad view uh, that I've seen in the Chinese press today, which is kind of caught between trying to underline to people in China that the U.S. is hell-bent on containing them, regardless of the change in administration from Trump to Biden. But on the other hand, in their view, uh, they feel that the divergences among the four countries are big enough for China to kind of exploit. Interesting. Um, and so, Asni, uh, we've spoken so far about the China challenge, uh, which I think will be very much making the news. Um, but there are other issues that are said to be discussed, as I mentioned in the beginning. Um, the readout does say that they will discuss everything from uh, COVID-19 vaccine supplies to climate change. What are the other? Uh, what are some of the issues that are likely to be taken up under these these categories? Right, certainly. And whether or not the China challenge is discussed, uh, as I said, the readouts from this uh, kind of meeting have in the past not actually been combined joint statements and have not always dealt uh, very clearly with what was discussed uh, on a subject as sensitive as China. And as I said, uh, a week from now, U.S. officials, uh, Mr. Blinken and others, are expected to meet Mr. Wangi in Alaska. Um, and that is also going to play into how much the U.S. is willing to say publicly coming out of this quad. Um, so what are some of the other issues that are expected to be on the agenda? India has made it clear uh, that uh, the uh, ensuring safe, equitable and affordable vaccines in the Indo-Pacific region are part of what it hopes will be discussed. Uh, what does this mean? Essentially, India is, of course, one of the world's largest uh, manufacturer of vaccines. And certainly there are already uh, two vaccines in India that are being sent out to various countries around the world. Um, what India would like is not just some kind of uh, cooperation in ensuring that countries in the Indo-Pacific region uh, take Indian vaccines and, and you know, are able to cooperate on that. Um, but India wants specific help from these countries uh, when it comes to uh, the petition that India and South Africa have put at the WTO essentially asking for trips to be set aside, for patent uh, uh, regulations to be set aside for this particular pandemic and to ensure and enable India to produce more vaccines as more and more vaccines uh, come out and, and provide them, particularly in the global south, particularly to countries in Africa, South America, that are badly hit by the coronavirus pandemic. So that is going to be from the Indian point of view, it remains to be seen what the other countries hope to discuss uh, when it comes to the vaccines. Also expected to be talked about uh, is uh, uh, discussions on emerging and critical technologies. This is often meant trying to build alternative systems, uh, uh, certainly uh, talk about the Chinese uh, uh, challenge when it comes to 5G technology and how they're going to go ahead on that. Uh, we, we do expect to hear more about the climate challenge, uh, climate, cr uh, climate change um, crisis in particular going forward towards this year's COP26 uh, in, in Glasgow, where all of them have to come up with their uh, various um, uh, climate change mitigation uh, deadlines. Uh, and then we we do expect to hear the, something on uh, discussions on uh, on regional issues. Now, those regional issues at present would include Myanmar, where the U.S. has taken a very, very uh, uh, strong stand on Myanmar, pushed through a U.N. Security Council resolution as well, uh, talking about actually restoring the Aung San Suu Kyi-led NLD government in Myanmar. Uh, India has not been as upfront and vocal when it comes 
to to the Myanmar junta's decision to remove the elected government. India has been much more focused on trying to ensure rule of law and order. Um, so Myanmar will be one area where it'll be interesting to see how the countries interact. Afghanistan could be also on the agenda. Uh, remember a lot happening over there and probably something we need to unpack in a different podcast. Uh, but these are some of the issues that they're expecting to talk about. There's already some reports about a possible quad uh, uh, cooperation on rare earth minerals, on, on ensuring that all rare earth minerals are not cornered uh, by China. Of course, these are needed for important technologies, chips and, uh, and the rest of that. So um, we do expect to see substantive statements coming out of this Quad Summit. It's not just going to be a talk shop this time. Uh, but the, the question really will remain how much of the language when it comes to things like maritime security, when it comes to things like military exercises, will actually be areas of confluence between the Quad. Uh, while we do discuss these other issues like the vaccines, economic cooperation, climate change, uh, as well as uh, supply chains, technologies and all the rest. Right. And do we expect uh, something by way of joint statements or do we kind of when we're reading the news that comes out after the meeting, do, should we look more for the kind of individual statements that each country puts out? Well, certainly uh, it has been a challenge so far, right. Jent. As I said, none of the meetings have come out with uh, a combined statement. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in fact, a lot of time goes as soon as the meeting is over in trying to compare what one country has left out, one country has put in India always pushes for much more economic cooperation between the Quad countries. Uh, the others have much more language about security, strategic mm. un unity amongst them. Uh, so if they do come out with a joint statement, that would be yet another first. Jayant, if I can add to what Swasni uh, said about the four countries uh, cooperating, for instance, on rare earths, I think it's quite interesting where on the security side, on the maritime side, you, there is a lot of uh, commonality. All four countries broadly want the same thing. But I think uh, the broader challenge uh, for the Quad is on the trade side. I think there is a lot of uh, imminent sense in them coordinating on rare earths where all of these countries are dependent on China, uh, on supply chains, again, which is something where diversification has been a theme that all four countries have been talking about. But at the same time, I think uh, we should keep in mind all three countries uh, the US, Japan, and Australia have their own interests when it comes to their trade relations with China. And that's something that we should be mindful about. Uh, just one point to note both uh, Japan and Australia, of course, members of the RCEP trading arrangement along with China, uh, something that China's Premier Li Keqiang highlighted in his annual press conference uh, on March 11th, Thursday. Uh, also important to note, um, I've been following in terms of what's coming out of Japan. On the one hand, when they are talking about uh, finding alternatives, it's also very clear where uh, Japanese companies, especially auto companies, as an example, are so reliant on the China market. Uh, and there's very little signs of them actually decoupling from China. Uh, the Japan government is talking of a China plus one strategy, but all their uh, trade sort of dependencies uh, on the China market are still very much in place. Uh, with Australia as well, it seems like a good moment uh, to talk trade with Australia from the Quad point of view because they've been running into all these troubles with China. But in the long term, uh, Giant, it seems to be very uh, difficult uh, to imagine that Australia would be willing to give up the China market, especially when it comes to the export of its resources and minerals. So I think that on the trade side, it's slightly more complicated where at the moment, 
uh, given each country going through its own difficult problems with China, there's a lot of sense in them coming together. But I think the jury is out on whether this is cyclical uh, and when the climate changes, uh, whether as happened in Quad Part 1, will uh, will this logic sort of be diluted going forward? I think that's an open question that only time will answer. Right. We'll wrap up this episode there. The China challenge, as we mentioned, is very much the elephant in the, in the room for this upcoming meeting. But as I hope we've conveyed to you in this podcast, there's a lot of other issues look, uh, to look to as well. And we will hopefully come back to you with more analysis uh, following that meeting. Uh, thank you, uh, Suhasni and Anand, for joining me today. Thanks a lot, Jayant, and we'll be back. Thank you. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.